coming up on Stonation. So as you know, Storyteller came out with the uh, Invader for the 2022. Yes. So what are your thoughts on that and how does that compare to your Sherpa? And what do you plan on being able to provide for the new LT? When will it be available? Do you mind answering some uh, listener questions? No, let's do it. Uh, what are the specifications on the bolt used to attach the owl racks? Is there any way to fix digital miles to empty on the long range 47 gallon fuel tank? How did you come up with the name Owl Van? Before we begin this episode, first a word from our sponsors. Without these sponsors, Stonation wouldn't be able to give you the content that you love. So thank you for listening to them and thank you for supporting Stonation. At La Mesa RV, we love helping people discover new adventures in a Storyteller Overland. We offer the entire line of Storyteller Overland vans, classic, stealth, or beast. If you can't wait to get your hands on a Storyteller, give us a call at 800-496-8778 or check us out at LaMesaRV.com. We'll be glad to help get your name on a factory-fresh unit. With nine stores across the country, La Mesa RV is a proud Storyteller Overland dealer, where we help you find the adventure in life. Hi, we are Van Parts Warehouse by Freedom Van Gogh. Tired of searching multiple websites trying to find all the products you want? Visit Van Parts Warehouse, your one-stop shop for all things van life located in Jacksonville, Florida. Shop interior, exterior, and electrical upgrades and accessories suited for your Sprinter, Transit, Storyteller, Revel, or ProMaster. All products presented to you have been field tested and installed by us so we can vouch for the quality, functionality, and style of each van part. Shop the van life community all in one spot. From suspension upgrades from Van Compass to exterior lighting options from Lightforce and Diode Dynamics, window covers to our maiden house electrical systems. We stock the best products the community has to offer. As we test and use new products, our inventory is ever-changing and expanding with upgrades we love and want to help make easily accessible to our customers. So make sure to check us out for new products you didn't even know you needed. Make the van life easier and visit Van Parts Warehouse for all the best products all in one location. This is Kale from Kermavans coming to you from Eagle, Colorado, right next to the Vail Airport. We are off I-70, and we are a company that designs and develops parts for sprinters. Our main focus is tuning and high-altitude tuning. We also combine it with turbo upgrades, boost hose upgrades, and we have one of the biggest brake kits on the market. We also work with other companies for installs. We do Alvans installs. We also do Van Compass installs, mainly suspensions, but we also do their other parts as well. And we do CA2 bumpers, and we also do backwoods bumpers. Uh, we pretty much can install anything exterior-wise, but uh, those are our main focus. So yeah, come on over to Kermavans so we can keep your van on the road and working well. Today's tech tip about surge protector compatibility is brought to you by Volta Power Systems. A power surge is, as the name would suggest, an intense surge of power that can cause damage to anything connected to it, including your appliances and RV electrical system. While it's very rare when your vehicle is connected to shore power, there's always a chance that a power surge could occur. RV plug-in style surge protectors may be used with your Volta system. However, some more complex models may not be compatible with the Volta system. When plugged into shore power, your Volta system always samples incoming power for safety before it can begin charging. Some surge protectors can interrupt that process, preventing your system from charging through the shore power connection. 
If your plug-in surge protector doesn't indicate an issue, but your Volta system isn't connecting to the attached shore power, there's a simple test you can do. Remove the surge protector and plug the shore cord directly into the vehicle. If your system is now able to receive shore power, it may be that your surge protector is likely not compatible with your Volta system. Thanks for listening to Volta's Tip of the Week. Hey everybody, it's John from OWL, and hopefully many of you know us for our Overland gear and our Sprinter and Storyteller gear. But what you may not know is our installation facilities, OWL Off-Road, run trail runs throughout the year. We did one, a huge one to Brago Springs. We just finished a nice more private one with only about 8 to 10 vans through Big Bear. We're adding another one. We've got Moab coming up and we've got a few others on the calendar. So if you want to get out, run some actual off-road trails, not just fire roads. Get tech tips on recovery, winch usage, changing a tire, or just get out there with other like-minded van folks, drink a good beer, eat a good meal. Check out, you can go to our website, go to Owl Events, and we're going to have all of our latest events and some pictures of some past events. They're run by some really, really good, talented guides. And if I'm lucky enough to have the time, you may see me poke my head up on one of these trips in the near future. This is, again, Sean from Owl. Check out our trail runs. Welcome to another episode of Stone Nation, a production of Park Media. Before I introduce today's guest, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, share, and leave a five-star review. And if you find this podcast useful in any way and want to pay us the ultimate compliment, head on over to our Patreon page where you can subscribe to be a classic, stealth, or beast mode subscriber. Stone Nation, welcome back to part two of the interview with John Willenberg the owner and founder of Owl Vans. In part two, John answers the big question, what does he think about Storyteller's new Invader system and how it compares to his Sherpa? John also answers a bunch of excellent questions from the community, and on a more personal note, he discusses how he's trying to balance work, life, and family. The last note is that if you didn't listen to part one, um, obviously you should stop right now and you should go back and listen to part one and then come back to part two. And don't forget, because our conversation was so in-depth and covered a lot of information, the camera's battery actually ran out. So the last one-third of this episode, there will be no video. But don't worry, the audio is still there. So with that, please sit back, relax, and enjoy part two. <laughs> no, I get it. Um, so to switch gears a little bit, um, so as you know, Storyteller came out with the uh, Invader for the 2022. Yes. So what are your thoughts on that and how does that compare to your Sherpa? Oh, we're touching the third rail here. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's one of those tough situations where as the van industry progresses, there are going to be more and more, there's going to be more and more competition in the different parts. I've already spoken with the folks at Storyteller about our feelings with the Invader and I don't need to rehash a ton of that. I think anyone can understand by looking at what we do and what they do and what the invader is and understand why we wouldn't be thrilled about it. Uh, it's always tough to have something that you worked really hard on creating and then people make iterations of it. Um, on the flip side, I can kind of understand how folks are trying to go beyond what they do today. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to create some sort of big drama in the industry, but we've I've talked to Storyteller 
and we've we've worked it out and i think i'm comfortable with the go forward i obviously will always think that we make the best gear because if i think that we don't make the best gear then we need to work harder and we need to to fix it um, there are a lot of folks that storyteller aside now that are copying our stuff i understand it i will say this trust the people that went down the journey that is evident when you are talking to Rob and Mark from Van Compass. These are guys that came in when Vans didn't have suspension. And they had a T1N, which for folks that haven't been in Vans for a while, is the OG sprinter. Mm. You don't see them much. They kind of look like dust busters. <laughs> the OG sprinters, they developed their suspension for that. They are suspension engineers that came from companies that made high-end Jeep suspensions. This is the, they eat, sleep, drink, breathe suspension technology. And what you learn from going from zero to creating a product that works, all the paths you go down that are dead ends, all the problems you have that you fix, those are important learnings. And those allow you to make a better product. And so then what comes in is someone looks at what um, Van Compass has created, or they look at something we've created and they go, oh, I could make that too and they copy it, but they haven't been down the road. And I see it every day. I'll see someone else on Instagram with a copycat of one of our products and I'm like, ooh, they did that thing we did two years ago that's gonna cause that door to crack. Or, oh, look, they, they didn't box in this hinge. And so that's gonna be a weak point on that carrier long-term. That's gonna start you know, denting the outside of the door because it doesn't have structure here. And there's all these things and people get caught up and people come out with, with things that sound flashy from a, uh, a headline standpoint. Oh, it's a no drill carrier for VS30. Well, I'm not a moron. I had these carriers out for years before anyone else had them. I don't want to drill holes in my van either. Mm -hmm. So we have, if it's out there as a no drill system, it means we tested it and it failed our engineering tests. So people that come out with these no drill systems, A, it's, it's a false claim when it's no drill because a lot of times it's no drill, but you're cutting weather stripping and grinding latches and cutting this on the door. And it's like, well, it's no drill, but it's twice the amount of labor and you're grinding stuff instead of drilling it. So is grinding on a door any better than drilling? Mm -hmm. And hopefully this doesn't come across as bitter. It's more like frustration that I don't have the ability to communicate to every customer. And I really do feel like if people are given the same information, they make good decisions. And the problem is, Obviously, the company that makes these other things is going to tell them it's the best, the greatest, the grandest. And mm -hmm. they're not going to talk about how the fact that they have a massive amount of customers with dented doors that are coming back to them. So um, I would say this. I'm never going to tell customers we're the only thing out there. And there are companies that make decent stuff. I'll say decent. But we've been down that journey and we've probably tested it because we work really, really hard to make the most robust stuff. And so we've arrived at a solution that for the most part i think based on the feedback from folks in, uh, around the industry has been been pretty solid gear and so i caution people about trying to be pennywise pound foolish and buying an off-brand something thinking they're saving a couple hundred bucks mm -hmm. because is that company going to be there and we've look i'm not afraid to admit on this podcast that we've had stuff go wrong i've had products that were out of spec when we shipped it and i've replaced people's doors three, four, five thousand dollars of mm. repairs. It is out of the years that we've been in business and the thousands of racks that we've sold, I can count on less than one hand of the what I'll call major issues we've had, which I'm incredibly proud of our team for. But we've had them, mm -hmm. but we fixed them. 
and we did whatever it took. Kate, perfect case in point right now. And I can go show it to you. And this is one of those situations as a business owner that's so frustrating. Guy in Las Vegas installs a B2. Really nice guy. And this is where people out there, niceness will get you so much further <laughs> than being a jerk. Right. Because, you know, we work hard at this and we don't want you to have a bad experience. Calling up and telling us that, hey, here's this problem. Let's work together to solve it. Mm -hmm. We will work so hard to solve it. But if you call up and your first sentence is, I'm going to sue you, mm. then you're going to talk to a lawyer. You're not going to get your situation resolved. And that doesn't help anyone, right? Because yeah. we're a good company and we want to make things, we want to make things right. It matters to us. Okay. So what happened with this guy? Um, really nice guy in Las Vegas gets a B2. Calls up customer support. He goes, this is super weird. My buddy's got a B2. He's had it on for like a year. It's rock solid. I install my B2. I shut my door. It looks like jello. We're like, huh? And he's like, the whole door is wobbling and shaking. It, 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 it's, it's in fact, it's starting to dent the door. Hmm. And we said, we sell these things all the time. They don't dent the door. What? And so we go, send us a video, send us a video. I, I'll show you the video after. It is like throwing a stone in a pond. He shuts the door and the whole door wobbles and whips. Oh, wow. And we're like, what the heck? And I'm like, Am I losing my mind? So I go out to all the vans we have here and I'm slamming these doors. They've got 200 pounds on the B2 and I'm slamming it like you shouldn't slam a door and rock solid. I'm like, look, I have no idea what's going on, but that's not acceptable. So we drove a truck with a flatbed trailer. So we didn't put miles on the guy's van, mm -hmm. drove it from Anaheim to Vegas, picked the guy's van up on a flatbed, drove it back to uh, Anaheim had a body shop take the door off because we wanted to do testing on it. We took his, we, we, we got a brand new factory door, painted it, reinstalled it on his van, took that door off, um, shipped that door up here. In the interim, we, we gave him brand new product. We told him not to install it until we could figure out what was going on. Mm -hmm. We brought his van back. So we replaced, um, and for the hassle, we gave him a free bumper. Oh, so wow. we gave him a, we, so we trucked his vehicle out we, gave, we installed the free bumper. We replaced his door until we could figure out what happened. Um, and it turns out I got the door here a few days ago. The way a door is constructed for Mercedes is you have the outer sheet metal, which is cosmetic for the most part. And then you mm -hmm. have an inner structure. Those are bonded together with um, body uh, bonding adhesive. Mm -hmm. And although not strong in individual spots, it's kind of like a unibody. A unibody is not terribly strong in any individual spot, but as a whole, it's very strong. Same thing with the door. The inner structure is bonded to the outer structure of the door. And because of all the little bonds, it becomes strong. This door was never bonded. Oh my goodness. From the factory. Wow. It, it, it's crazy. You've got the outer sheet metal and then you've got all the, what I'll call caterpillars of adhesive are all on the door in the right place but the inner structure never got pressed against the outer structure. Wow. So the inner structure was completely separate from the outer structure. And so the guy had no structure to his door. Mm. So the end of the day is this, and I tell this story and this is a real story. And if this customer wants to come forward, he can, he can vouch for it. But here's a situation where we did nothing wrong. We had a product that was perfectly good. The door was a mistake Mercedes made in a completely poorly manufactured door. And I'm not throwing Mercedes under the bus. They make millions of these things. Something's yeah. going to happen. So all into it, I probably spent $10,000 making that situation right for that customer. And at the end of the day, it's an OEM Mercedes problem that has nothing to do with anything we did. 
I tell that story so that people understand that when you buy our gear, we stand behind it. And mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to tell people that we have a bad experience sometimes. But when you go and, and work with some of these copycat products from some guy out of his garage in Chicago or something or, you know, Poland, <laughs> um, which I think there's somebody copying our stuff out there. What's a it's probably not going to be engineered that well. B, when something goes wrong, is there a company that's going to stand behind that gear mm -hmm. uh, when they need to? So anyway, um, that's who we are. And it doesn't again, it doesn't mean that every single customer that interacts with us has a stellar experience. We try, but it's not a guarantee. But mm -hmm. I think that the lion's share do. You know, there's always the few folks that whether it's bad luck or whatever um, or that you can't please. But for the most part, we work really, really hard and the customer service people genuinely care. So again, when people call up, um, let the customer service people get up to speed. They absolutely care. They're going to make things right if they can. And that's true, not just for us, but all, all industries right now. I, I'm noticing, and maybe you're noticing it too, I feel genuinely bad. The other day I was at a restaurant and it took forever to have the server come over. Oh, and I'm yeah, looking yeah. around and it's because the restaurant needed like four more servers and they clearly couldn't hire them because mm -hmm. of a labor shortage. And then you've got somebody that's working that is doing four or five times the amount of work and um, they're understaffed and they're stressed. And so the last thing when they came over, they were super apologetic. And I said, I get it. You guys look like you're down on staff. And she's like, oh my God, you have no idea. And I said, whatever you can do is fine. If it takes longer, it's fine. And she's like, oh my God, thank you. It's been so bad. Like, thank you. And she was just yeah. genuinely so thankful that someone understood that with the labor shortage and the way stuff is right now, that like just caught people a benefit of the doubt because like so many people are working so much harder mm -hmm. because of the labor shortage that you can, these are human beings. And when someone, when you're angry, I get it, but they internalize it. I internalize it. When, when people have a bad experience, I take it home at night. And that's why I don't want it to ever happen again. But these are people and they take it home at night. So mm -hmm. um, bear with us during this labor shortage and bear with everyone, whether it's a restaurant or another company you're ordering from. Oh, yeah. Like nobody is loving this environment right now. Yeah. Everyone's, I think, chief complaint is the wait time. But I mean, nobody can help that. So it's one of those things that I think hopefully this year we'll get a little used to it. So, I mean, if you started back in what? 2020 2021 or whatnot like early 21s it's like oh i have to wait uh a month that's ridiculous and now it's like what you want me to wait over a year so i, I just talked i just talked to jeffrey right before this phone call uh of of storyteller and he was saying that they're out 24 ish months on new vans which is crazy mm -hmm. and he doesn't want that but there's not much he can do about yeah. it you know it's it's a vendor thing it's a thankfully storyteller has a really good does a really good job of getting the chassis in, which is the main gating item for most manufacturers. But it's just a bandwidth thing from all of the vendors. The, yeah. I, I don't even try to guess how many companies are involved in supplying parts for uh, a storyteller when it's built. The problem you've got is if just one of those is delayed, the entire van's delayed. Oh yeah. No one's gonna deliver a van and be like, yeah. oh, you know what? Everything on it's done except Hey, you know, the wheels are on a boat outside of Long Beach. So you've got your factory steel Mercedes wheels. So everything looks great, except you have crap wheels on yeah. it. That that doesn't work. Don't and, worry. It's still under warranty. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Mercedes is shipping vans with no options now. Yeah. You, you have people who ordered vans, waited a year, 
And they're like, oh yeah, uh, your adaptive cruise control, we had no chips, so that's gone. Oh, by the way, you know, the full entertainment system that you ordered, we didn't have any chips, so oh that's gone. Gosh. And so you get these base level vans and you've got no recourse. Obviously you don't have to buy it, mm -hmm. but Mercedes is just like, hey, we don't have chips, there's a chip shortage and we can't not produce vehicles. So you're getting your van, but it's gonna get, have almost no uh, uh, technology on it, which arguably I'd kind of like. <laughs> I know, right? Going back to the old school. Um, so to switch gears again, all pun intended. Um, so nice. I like it. I like it. The LT's out. Ford, you know, is starting to come in for, you know, their all-wheel transit or maybe even like non-storytellers, the two-wheel transit stuff. So what do you offer and when will it be available? Because I know we kind of talked about this over the summer, but things have changed, obviously. So has there been any updates and what do you plan on being able to provide for the new LT? Yeah, this is one, this is becoming kind of the bane of my existence because... <laughs> When, when I started OWL uh, about three years ago, the tire carrier initially uh, did quite well. And within probably the first couple of weeks of starting this place, when it was just me, there were people, people reaching out for transit gear. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's not massively different from a sprinter. It's different, but the same techniques that I use to develop my sprinter gear can be used on transit. Complexity of a transit is just not built as strongly as a sprinter. So it's definitely thinner materials, can't support the same weight on the hinges as a sprinter. We can work around it, but mm -hmm. it's not as turnkey. But what happened is, um, I guess, problems of success. The, the sprinter stuff got so popular that I'm like, well, I can spend my time making the products that I have orders for, or I can R&D a transit product that I don't even have orders for yet. So I stuck to the Sprinter stuff and it kept snowballing and the company kept growing and we couldn't keep up. And it's been one of those things where, and I feel really bad because it wasn't being purposely uh, disingenuous. It was being naive. I told people many times with transit, oh yeah, you know, we have that on the schedule to start R&Ding that next month or 60 days or before the end of the year, we're going to have that out. And I was being honest when I said it, but the mm -hmm. fact of the matter is we're going on three years and we had a couple of transit tire carriers out there for a minute, but we had to pause them because we were so busy with, with Sprinter. And we have transit stuff done. So we actually had the transit, all the gear done six, seven months ago, there was not enough aluminum mm. to make it. We could not literally physically get aluminum tube to make the products, it wasn't available. We were at a point where the alloys that we use, they have to be bendable aluminum because we mandrel bend our stuff. A lot, again, going back to, to competitive products, there's a lot of products out there where I can instantly look at it and see where they're saving money, but to the detriment of the customer because it's not as strong. Yeah. When you bend a piece of tube, it's infinitely stronger when it goes around a corner than if you take two pieces of tube, cut them and weld them together. Oh yeah. If you, the reason that you would do that is because a bending stuff takes, it's much harder to do, especially if you're bending in multiple planes and axes. Uh, also the material you need is more expensive. So we use an alloy that's bendable. There's a 6061 alloy that you can cut and weld and works perfectly well. It's not bendable. So that's readily available. The stuff that we need to make our stuff was back ordered worldwide. Mm -hmm. And I told my head of manufacturing that, you know, borrow 
you know, call in favors, do whatever you can, buy every piece of material you can. And we did that and that kept us running, but it didn't allow us, I mean, bare minimum running. We were in stock on all of our products and then the material shortage happened and we slipped to like four to six weeks. I think we may even be six to eight now, simply because there are days where my entire production team sat there and played cards because mm -hmm. we have no tube and that's mm -hmm. incredibly expensive with the number of people we have and so coming back to the transit thing, it's so frustrating for me. It's really frustrating to see other companies come into the transit space and do what we do and not have a solution for the transit customer. I will say again, with all honesty, we will. And the supply chain on material is getting better. So I'm really, really hoping that very soon, and it's in, it's in my board meeting deck, for 2022 is the release of the transit. Mm -hmm. So it's in there. Now, if there's a new pandemic, I think <laughs> I, I, today's today's version was um, Delta Cron or something. Are you, you serious? Know? I've heard yeah. of the Corona or flu. Fluorona. Fluorona. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's flu. I mean, the fear mongering is off the charts. Yeah. You got Fluorona, um, Delta Cron, Optimus Prime. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like nonstop. But assuming that we can start a kind of claw our way out of all of this then hopefully we can have enough material to make the make the transit stuff but it's done so let's just pretend that we're living living in a perfect world no uh pandemic blah 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 so what products for the ford lt will you have or would you have so we have a side ladder and that's the other thing i didn't mention on the ultimate beast because it's not on it right now but we have a side ladder coming out for the transit as well as the Sprinter. That's actually something we worked on with Storyteller and we wanted to have it ready for the transit. But again, uh, tubing availability, we had, to, we had to say, uncle, we couldn't deliver it. So side ladder, really cool side ladder. I've never been a huge fan of side ladders. The reason I'm not a huge fan of side ladders is that the rear works better for a ladder, not just because that's what we make. We make a rear ladder because I didn't like side ladders when you go off-road and trails and you talk about fire roads, not a big deal. You get into Northern California where you get a lot of trails where there's a lot of trees and a lot of rocks. The number of vans I see where the side ladder sticks out so much down at the bottom of the vehicle where trails where you can get by with your wheels, it catches. And when it catches, it rips and it tears mm. at the rocker panel of the car of the, of the van. It messes up the roof rails for the roof rack. And it's, the ladder itself is, I don't know, 800 to a thousand bucks, but you do five grand of damage to your van. Mm -hmm. It also, it collects snow. It whistles in the wind. It, um, the powder coat wears off because gravel and sand hit it. So there's all these things that I didn't love about side ladders. And so we said, if we're going to do a side ladder, it's going to be multifunctional. It's not going to be a one trick pony. We're going to have mountability. So we incorporated, it's basically like a Sherpa side ladder hybrid. Nice. So all of the rungs are mountable. So whether it's strapping stuff, um, mounting brackets for surf, uh, surfboards and paddle boards, uh, roto packs, there's, there's more than one feature. And that's something we try to bring to every product that we bring out for these vehicles. They're, they're so small and the gear's expensive. It's got to do more than one thing. Second of all, we made sure that the ladder was super high and tight to the van, meaning that down low where it could catch on things, it's really close to the vehicle. At least the tubes are that would catch. Mm -hmm. And then, um, 
we tuck it in right behind our side steps that are going to deflect anything that would come in contact with it. So it's four to five inches tighter to the vehicle than a lot of the ladders that are out there. Hmm. And then it comes off the vehicle a little bit as it goes up. So it's very, still very climbable, but it's it's much more usable that are much better off road than the current side ladder. So side ladder for the getting back to your original question, side ladder for the transit will be coming out. We have uh, our solo bumper that we make for the Sprinter. We also have put on a transit and it looks fantastic. So we're going to be releasing that for the transit as well. And then, of course, we're going to have our, our kind of uh, iconic uh, ladder tire that we're known for mm-hmm. is going to be available for the transit as well as the Sherpa. Lots of people asked for the B2. I'm unwilling to commit to the B2, not because I don't want to have it for a transit. I'm unsure of the load that that door can carry. Mm. We've already seen other companies. We've looked at the engineering of the hinges and the hinge box where it mounts to the van. We are maximum comfortable with 100 pounds of payload in addition to whatever carrier is on there. Mm -hmm. We're already seeing other companies that make transit stuff that are saying, oh yeah, 200, 250 pound payload limit. And Mm. I'm sitting there going, you don't have an engineer on your staff at all because there's no way that your engineer said that the same structure that our engineer says, we're gonna be comfortable up to hundred pounds that your engineer is looking at and says, oh yeah, no problem, 200, 250 pounds, which is markably different, mm-hmm. uh, that they're two and a half times the load that the same vehicle that our engineer looks at can carry. Yeah, And so we're gonna be conservative. The B2 is a product that can carry a lot of bikes, boxes and lots of gear. Mm-hmm. People can very quickly load that up with 200 pounds of payload. And I'm just not comfortable until we can get more testing gotcha. saying that that'll happen. But the Sherpa with a hundred pound load limit is definitely something that, that, that we'll be able to do. Okay, cool. Anything else? We have wheels coming out. Wheels are oh. hard to get. Uh, we've been really unimpressed with the supply chain of wheels. So we're doing our own wheels with really cool offsets. So case in point, transit, transit, I like the Transit. I think it's going to be a cool product, a cool van for folks. It's really come a long way. The hubs and the wheels on that thing, I don't know if they just like, it's like they went to like the the, the backyard rednecks part bin. That thing <laughs> has, has an axle that is a full foot too wide for that vehicle. Yeah. So if you talk about wheel offsets, and I just did a video uh, called the, um, what is it called? Wheel Tire Guide for sprinters or something like that. Mm-hmm. So if you want to understand wheels and wheel offsets and that kind of thing, and even get a sneak peek at what our wheels going to look like, you can watch that video on YouTube. But an offset is basically where the tire sits in relation to the hub. So a zero offset is the mounting surface, the inside mounting surface of the tire being dead center in the width of the rim. Mm-hmm. Some off-road tires, they use backspacing as opposed to offset. It's going to get you the same thing. Essentially, the numbers will be different. That's measuring from that wheel mounting surface to the inside of the rim. What is that in inches? Offset is zero is dead center, negative and positive out from dead center. So you're just measuring from a different point. But mm. long story short, if you've ever seen a 3500 Sprinter or a Dually for that matter, mm-hmm. what you, a lot of people may or may not know that don't own them is that you even though you have four wheels on the rear and two up front, it is the same wheel. So the way it works is the wheel on the front of the vehicle mounts with the tire going kind of more towards the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And then on the rear axle, you have one wheel that mounts the same way the front wheel does. And then the other wheel flips. And so you have 
the the wheels for a dually, the hub is outside from underneath the tire. And it's really hard to describe in words. Normally the wheel mounting surface is inside of the width of the rim. In a dually, it's outside of it. That way they can be put face to face. Hmm. The Transit used a dually wheel on a single rear wheel drive vehicle. Oh. And the reason that's weird is A, why? <laughs> I think the answer is that Ford had a part. I, I was only half joking when I said they went to the parts bin and grabbed it or the backyard uh, pick and pull. Clearly they had an axle and they put it on the van. I'm guessing it's from a full-size truck or something mm. because it is way too wide for that van and mm -hmm. they just ran with it. <laughs> so what they did to fix it is they actually made the offset of the wheel insane so that the tires under the vehicle but the th if you look down the side of a transit the thing that sticks out the most on the vehicle are the studs for the wheels mm -hmm. they stick out past everything else yeah so the hub is really far out and so what you end up with it's really hard to make a wheel with that kind of offset look good mm -hmm. it just doesn't look like a wheel should so we worked really hard to create an offset for that vehicle that would make the wheel look more like a wheel you could get for a Sprinter. I'm really happy with how they turned out. So we should have an offering for a transit wheel. There are not many all-wheel drive transit wheels in the market right now. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna have that wheel out in black bronze and gunmetal. Same thing for the Sprinter. We've got a wheel coming out, black bronze and gunmetal. And the cool thing that we did with our wheel is we put dual valve stems on it. And so one valve stem you can set to deflate the tire at a certain Ooh, rating nice. and one you can use to just, you know, as you'd use a normal valve yeah. stem. And so you can literally walk back to your tire and, and flip one of the, you don't have to have the deflators come on yeah. and off. You can just deflate with the dual valve stems. Yeah. And then we've also gone for a load rating that is, I think almost double that of black rhino and oh. method. Wow. So it's a much stronger wheel for off-roading. And we're also going to be TUV and DOT approved. So TUV, for folks who don't know, is essentially the governing body of aftermarket, auto, it may be OEM too, but certainly aftermarket automotive parts in Germany. And as I've said many times, Germans are very precise, mm -hmm. generalizing here, um, in case there are any vague Germans listening. <laughs> but the TUV standard is much higher than a lot of the standards here in the U.S. And so the wheel will meet all of those standards so it can be sold internationally, but also just peace of mind for people buying that wheel that it's a really nice, high quality product. For the Mercedes, will it still have the accurate uh, reading when you go into the menu system? Yes, yeah, so the TPMS will transfer over. So the okay. TPMS, um, Tire Pressure Management System, those transfer over with uh, the valve stem. Okay, So cool. Um, yeah, and then also just an, a, a, a thing of note for folks, um, a lot of those come with uh, metal valve stems. For off-roading, typically you wanna go with a, a plastic or a rubber valve stem. Rubber is usually the best because hmm. the, the metal valve stems have a tendency to, to shear. Hmm. And so a lot of people think when they're getting their tires redone, oh, metal valve stems are more expensive. Those must be better. Mm. then you're better off with the rubber ones. Okay, cool. What's the uh, ETA on those bad boys? I will actually have a full set. I'll have a full set of of first out of the mold wheels here before the end of the month. So that's a few weeks. We're in kind of early-ish January when we're recording this. So I will have a full set for our van to test as well as single one-offs of the different colors. So I'm getting a set of bronze for, for our vehicle, just to try something different. And then I'll have a black and a gunmetal in-house just so we can color check and, and see how we like the color. But those wheels then once 
we approve them, assuming there's nothing, no, no wholesale changes we want to make, you know, we're probably a production time of 30 to 45 days and then you're, you know, got shipping time. So you're looking at probably still about three and a half months out before anyone would have them in their hand. So like Q2 then? Yeah. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, look, these days for just getting arsenals, it might be Q2. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so do you mind answering some uh, listener questions? No, let's do it. All right, cool. So I'm, I'm going to say their first name, but leave their last name out for there you go. privacy purposes. Uh, all right. So Joseph, he asked, when will the new wheels for a sprinter oh, be available in cost? I nailed it. I just, I just, <laughs> I know. I just, right? So we didn't talk about the cost though. Cost is not final, but it's going to be in the, um, the higher end of what the current offerings are. So, well, that said, Black Rhino just came out with a beadlock that is much more expensive, but in the non beadlock wheels, this is a non beadlock wheel. It's going to be in the threes. Okay, three hundred. Yeah, three hundred dollars. Okay. Just make sure it's not, not three thousand. This okay. is not some like like all like chrome thirty inch spinner. Okay, just make, <laughs> just making sure. Exhibit exhibits not selling these. <laughs> all right, Jeffrey. Okay, so I will say his last name, Jeffrey Hunter. I know him. I'm familiar. <laughs> he asks, "Does kryptonite really lessen your superpowers if you get too close to it, or is that just a myth?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I read that and I was joking. I, th I said, "I think only my only superpower is being able to hold down the water in Mexico." <laughs> Well, that is a superpower because <laughs> after Baja, we all got sick. So, anyways, um, Gordy asks, uh, what are the sp specifications on the bolt used to attach the owl racks? So, he kind of wants to know, like, the length. Um, he says uh, the heads are a hex nut carriage type bolt. So, mm -hmm. he's trying to figure out, like, what it is. Um, like, what what's it made out of, the thread dimension, all that. <laughs> Um, okay, so this is going to be riveting listening to everyone out there. But uh, the bolts we use, I mean, we use different bolts depending on where it is. But the majority of our bolts are uh, a 3 8 by 16 threading. They're a stainless steel with a uh, black. We moved from black zinc to... Um... No, we were. I, I take that back. Correction. They have a, a, a black zinc coating. We moved from black oxide. So it's a stainless steel bolt. So stainless steel is a little bit softer, but we really didn't want this to rust. So that's a situation where maintenance is an important thing on your rack. You're going to want to tighten or check the spec on the bolts that attach your carrier to your vehicle. The reason being we engineer in some preload into the carriers. What I mean by that is we actually purposely make the hinge side hold the carrier off the door and the act of screwing or bolting in the third mounting point pulls the carrier into the door. So essentially our entire carrier is a spring that's being tightened. And the reason we do that is because you've taken the, the slop out of that. So when you slam the door, if it's already wanting to pull off the door, it's going to impart less force onto that third mounting point. Mm -hmm. It's one of the ways that we get around. A lot of carriers in the market require big internal door bracing. We don't. And that's because of the way we engineer that product. But that only works if those bolts on the hinge are tight, because if they get loose, now the carrier can put more force into the door. So the reason I bring all this up when we're, we're talking about bolts is stainless steel is a softer material than like a grade eight or a grade 10. Now the weights, the number of bolts we have in the weight, we're fine. So this is not something where we're worried about it falling off, but the torque and the, the, um, uh, the torque rating that you can tighten the nuts down to is only about 30 foot pounds 
don't quote me on that. I have to look what our actual spec is. It might be like 28, but you can't crank these things down to 90 foot pounds, 100 foot pounds, like a lug bolt mm -hmm. or a lug nut. And so you have to check them periodically to make sure that they're tight because that's how the, the vehicle functions or the carriage function properly. And you can always throw some, they have nylocks on, but you can always, when you're checking them, back them off a little bit, put some red Loctite on there, tighten them back down. It's just going to help. Okay, cool. Let me get to the next question here. Um, Joseph asks, is there any way to fix digital miles to empty on the long range 47 gallon fuel tank? As of now, I am unaware of a fix for that. So what this person is asking for folks that don't know, there's this really cool new fuel tank that's out there. Anyone that has a Sprinter knows how quickly those fuel tanks run down. Is that made by you or is that someone else? No, it's made by uh, S&B filters, I believe. Okay. And it's a 47 gallon replacement tank. It fits the storyteller. There are folks out there saying it doesn't. It does. I have one outside. In fact, you can come look at it on the Ultimate Beast. So, well, I um, think we should just test it out on uh, on my vehicle. Perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> so, anyone that says it doesn't fit, um, you'll take a, you can take a picture and, and prove that it does. But the way the fuel system works on the Mercedes, and this is where the engineers get in this kind of circular loop of information. So, there is a mechanical fuel float, and what a mechanical fuel float means is it's just that it's a mechanical float in your tank. Cars for the history of time have had mechanical floats. It's a thing that uh, as you fill gas in your gas tank will float to the top. It's attached to a lever. That lever is taking a reading. Same is probably true of how they read the, um, well, I won't go there for the gray and those tanks. They might use something digital, but the, they have a mechanical float and they also have a digital calculation. So this is where I get really frustrated with engineers because they're like, oh, someone in a room somewhere goes, hey, instead of reading the tank mechanically, we can just look at how much fuel, we know the size of the fuel tank, and we can look at how much fuel is flowing through the fuel injectors. And we can calculate how much fuel you have in your tank, hmm. which to me is stupid because you already have something that works really well that is not prone to error. Because if fuel, for any reason, a diesel heater, for example, that keeps your van warm, mm -hmm. if fuel for any reason is removed from the tank, the mechanical float is gonna fall it's always gonna be accurate, assuming it's working. Mm -hmm. If you're calculating the fuel traveling through the fuel injector, injector, then if your diesel heater uses a gallon of diesel to keep your van warm, your computer is gonna say you have a gallon of fuel that you don't have in your tank. Mm. And so there is, um, I wanna say it's like a J31 or a J51 update. So mm -hmm. what happened is Mercedes used to calculate the fuel in your tank based on uh, consumption. They now had an update that goes back to the manual float. So if you get one of these tanks, you may want to confirm with your dealer that you have the latest updated software. Mm -hmm. You won't need to do anything, just have them up. You should have updated software anyway. Right. Old vans used to do it completely off consumption. So again, getting back to the question this customer is asking, and I'm sorry, I, I maybe I overexplained things, but uh, the fuel or the sorry, the mileage to empty is still done via consumption. Mm -hmm. It is still assuming you have a 24 gallon tank or whatever the 27, I think it's 24 gallon factory tank. Mm -hmm. That as of now is not changeable. I'll talk to Rentech, but really the mechanical float will tell you how much fuel you have. So that's really you just got to go a little bit old school and, okay. and just make sure you look at your fuel gauge. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, all right. Esther asks, how did you come up with the name Owlvan? <laughs> this one got me in hot water with my daughter. Uh -oh. uh, so 
you people can't see this, but these are my kids here behind me. Um, so that is the owl of Owl Van, that guy right there. Um, that's my other daughter, Elon. Not other daughter, only daughter, Elon. <laughs> and so what happened when I started Owl is I was doing research uh, before I came up, before I even did my first product. I was looking at what's out there and I kept um, looking at these different um, companies and I was like, man, no one offers what I want to build. There's a market here. But in doing all that, they all had such similar names that I couldn't remember which was which. I was like, wait, where did I see that? Was it on Trail Adventure Van or Adventure Trail Van mm, or, yeah. or Trail Works or Adrenaline Van Works? And it's just like, it made my brain hurt. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I do this, I've got to have a name that's easy to remember, easy to spell because from the digital age where people are going to um, type it into a web URL. So I don't want any crazy spellings like, you know, um, spelling owl with an X in it or something like that. <laughs> so everyone has an X. When in doubt, put an X in it. And then I wanted something that had a strong icon because I just, I mean, I think I, I think this was one of Steve Jobs's things. He said, when you're naming a company or a brand, have it have a recognizable icon that people can relate to. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted that because it helps people remember the brand. And what good is your brand if people can't remember who you are? Mm -hmm. I think owls are cool. My son. Oh, so getting back to how I came up with with Owl, my son, unlike a normal human being, anyone that's had a kid, when they wake up from a nap because they can't talk yet when they're babies, they cry. Mm -hmm. They cry because they're either hungry or they want to be picked up. It's just the universal communication where a baby is crying. So Ike, my son, Owl, we had a baby monitor like many parents and he was our second child. So it wasn't our first rodeo. And one morning, my wife and I hear what sounds like an owl. And I love owls. And so I'm like all excited. And I run to the window. I'm like, man, there's an owl. I hear it, but I can't see it. And I'm sitting there going, that's weird. How many owls hoot in the morning? They're yeah, nocturnal. That's, that's super yeah. weird. I could see it at night. but And then my wife is like, I think it's coming from the baby monitor. And then we, we look at the screen. And my son is sitting there going, whoo, just <laughs> just hooting like an owl. And then we realized that this bird we kept thinking was outside of our, our bedroom was actually our son waking up because he didn't cry like a normal human being. So he would always wake up from a nap and hoot like an owl. So mm. we started calling him Owl and Owl Boy. And so then I named the company after him in mm. a sense because I thought the name was, I thought it was cute and nice homage to him. Mm -hmm. And then Elon, my daughter, is like, well, WTF? Like, <laughs> when do I get a company? I know. I I'm was like, your firstborn. Come yeah. on. <laughs> I'm like, honey, I love it. Um, I don't have I, companies are not easy to start. So for now, we're going to have to stick with Owl. But, <laughs> you know, maybe we'll name a roof rack after you or something. Yeah, there you go. Nice. All right. I like that story. That's a good one. All right. Uh, JC asks uh, if you can make the ski box twice as wide. Can you do that? So people that don't know what our ski box is, we come out with this thing. We call it a ski locker, ski box. Uh, snowboarders get mad because they're like, why do you call it a ski locker? It fits snowboards. And I'm like, I get it. But snowboard locker doesn't ring quite as nicely as ski box or ski locker. So mm -hmm. it also holds golf clubs. So we have a lot of golfers that, that use it. It's a product that we bring out for ski season and only for ski season. They're very big and take up a lot of room. And we don't want to have a warehouse full of them year round. So it's kind of like a cool special deal. If you're ever interested in one or see them, you're going to have to get on a sign-up list and we only release them once a year right before ski season and then they're done. And it happened kind of by happenstance. We had our first run of them uh, years ago and when they were ready, 
they were a little late. And when they were ready, it was just summer. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to release a ski walker in summer. <laughs> so they sat in our warehouse until winter. And then I was like, oh, man, I got to I got to list these because they've been in our warehouse for almost a year. I almost forgot about them. And so I listed them and they were sold out in a day. And I was like, oh, wow, there's demand here for this product. I had no idea it would be so popular. So we for almost two years, we didn't make them. And we took customers. We kept asking. So we started a list and then we came out with them this year. And we sold out again in this time in like a week, not quite in 24 hours. We made a lot more of them this time. So that's our ski locker. We, we are sold out now. We will have more next winter. So if it's something you're interested in, you got to be a little bit quick on the draw. Uh, as far as the sizing, everybody wants everything. And I get it. But we also have to, excuse me. Um, we also have to kind of put guardrails on what people can do. Mm -hmm. So the ski locker is huge. It's like six feet tall. It comes in at like 85 pounds empty. Mm. And it's that big because you've got so much material and you have to make the aluminum thick enough to be strong. Right. And at that length, it's going to be heavy. And so you start increasing it. Now you're doubling the width. You're going to get into a box that's going to weigh 150 pounds before you put anything in it. Oh, okay. So we have to be pretty careful. In fact, we work directly with uh, the folks that make our boxes to try to go lighter on the gauge because like certain panels that are structural are heavier and then other panels are thinner, which on the surface sounds like it's easy to do. But when you're welding different sized materials together, it can get more complex. So anyway, but we do, we use different gauges of material in our ski box to try to bring the weight down. Mm -hmm. But um, as far as a double wide one, not only would it weigh a lot, but I would be nervous about that amount of size. Mm -hmm. I mean, people would be you sticking a lot of stuff in there. Whole vans worth of stuff. You did three, four hundred pounds of stuff in there, and you're gonna have that people make, like me just shove it full of stuff. <laughs> that would make me very nervous. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Steve asks, "What new projects are you guys working on? Especially the new innovative ideas for attaching rotopacks." We. I will not bore people by running through our stuff again we've talked about it ad nauseum about all the new gear that we have as far as roto packs the new ladder mounts them we've had a lot of frustration with them as a company it's a cool product it works really well they don't ship to dealers they are undersupplied, and when they get a new supply they sell them at retail and they don't ship to their dealers so we have orders going on six nine months that don't get fulfilled Holy cow. we don't get any information and so and, and, and folks get really frustrated and I get it. And it's frustrating for us too, because on a whole Rotopax jug, I mean, what do we make? 10 bucks? It's not like something where by the time we customers support it and fulfill it, I probably lose money selling Rotopax jugs. So I tell people, go buy, on, buy them on Amazon, buy them direct. And it sucks because they're essentially getting their cake and eating it too, because we're selling the product and then they're selling it to the customer. But I don't want the customer to wait. So if you have a Rotopax order, we tell customers every day, we're more than happy to cancel it because we have no line of sight to when we'll actually get them. Mm -hmm. Go buy them off Amazon. You'll have it in two days. So we may end up making our own roto molded containers because it's an industry wide problem. They, mm -hmm. as far as I know, they don't have any patents on it. Of course, we would do our due diligence before releasing something. But there's a whole industry that wants fuel containers and they are backlogged and don't make enough of them. Mm -hmm. So. Basically, you're not working a lot of R&D on that to figure out how to mount them. Yeah, I mean, we, we offer mounting solutions because a lot of people have them and they can still get the mounts and the jugs off of Amazon. 
So we do still work on it. But as far as trying to uh, increase our relationship with Rotopax or our reliance, if you will, we don't really want to because we don't like selling. We have a number with DMOS shovels. The person owns it, the woman that, that, that runs DMOS shovels, really, really nice, super um, uh, ambitious to work with us. We couldn't get supply. Mm. It was, and it was, it's also an organizational thing. As a business our size, we can't have stuff show up disorganized. So if we, an example, again, sorry if I'm boring people with the, the inner details of the van industry, but if you have green shovels and black shovels and we order 20 black shovels and 20 green shovels and they're mounts, and then a pallet shows up, it's got 10 black shovels and five green shovels. Okay. Well, now you've got part of the black shovels are fulfilled and even less of the green shovels are fulfilled. And then because you have to get in line to make sure that you keep your supply going, the next PO and the next PO and the next PO go in. And so then you get, let's say your black shovels are all fulfilled. And then the green shovels from the first PO are still open. And then you get a new shipment with a few green and some black. Well, do these green go with the new PO? Do they go with the old PO? How do I pay for them? What's actually open? What do you still have to send me? And it becomes this thing where it eats up a week of someone's time to try to figure out what and I'm sure this is incredibly boring listening to, to someone on a podcast, but the logistics of a business, I need people, I need suppliers that can ship in and around the dates they say they can and supply the numbers of the products that they say they can. And I love the DMOS shovel. It's a cool product. I really like the woman that ran the company. But at the end of the day, I can't sell a product if I get three of them a month. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I understand. I think uh, the inner guts of running a business is important for people to know because it's stuff like this that you know sitting on the outside you're like oh what's owl's issue like i've been waiting blah blah blah, or you know whatever the case is but there goes a you know there's a lot of sausage in there to make that sausage so it, it, it's hard and i have a choice as a business owner and i'll give you an example of mercedes hinges so we buy massive quantities of oem mercedes hinges because if you don't have the 180 hinges you have to swap them we ran the entire world's supply of hinges dry. There were none. In fact, we started making our own billet machined hinges as a backup. We will get pallets of hinges from Mercedes. <clears throat> and sometimes it's a giant bin and it's just filled with hinges. And each one of these hinges, our cost is like a hundred bucks. And so they'll be like, oh, there's, you know, 500 of this hinge and 500 of this hinge. And now we have to go count it because people are so disorganized that we get shipments. And one time, because I was like, this, these numbers aren't adding up. We should have more hinges off of the inventory. And I go dump it all out. We're putting them in the parking lot. And we wrote we, we, the entire parking lot was covered in hinges, rows and rows and rows. Mm -hmm. We were missing $35,000 of hinges. Wow. That's crazy. In one shipment. And then we reach out and they're like oh yeah our bad we just found the other pallet back here mm -hmm, or the other boxes did. and yeah and whether it was nefarious or accidental because mistakes happen but those are the kind of things where okay that cost me half a day so i have to weigh cost benefit analysis yeah it cost me half a day to count those but it was a difference of 35 grand which mm -hmm. is real money you yeah. know and so those are the situations where you have to have reliable suppliers because you can't open everything and you can't count everything. And so mm -hmm. I guarantee there are spots where I'm losing money or I'm paying for parts that I didn't get, but I can't always count everything. Yeah. And that those are the problems, the logistics of, of growing and getting these big shipments and having mm -hmm. um, all this stuff come in. Yeah. No, that's like I said, I'm glad I'm not you right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
So, Dan, not to ignore you, but I think we talked about the locker because he wanted to know the details about it. So I think we're good on that we one. We definitely beat that horse. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Jing, I want to say. If I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize. Um, Jing wants to know any updates on the CARB approval for the Rentec tune. Okay, I don't know what that is, but so CARB is is CARB. It's the California Air Resource Board, and mm-hmm. so we. This is actually really cool. Uh, I'm glad I got get a chance to talk about this. Rentec tune, and I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what a tuner is, why it works, and carbon compliance, and so on. So, Owl is a very environmentally focused company, and we work hard to make sure that the stuff we do has uh, is either sustainable or has a low impact. It's at the core of what we do. We don't necessarily talk about it all the time, but it's a core tenant of, of, of what we do because of what we do. We're out in nature without beautiful places to go in these vans. What the heck is the point? So when we started looking at engine tuners, and there's this CARB compliance in California. So you're not allowed to modify anything anymore on a vehicle sold in California unless it's CARB compliant. Well, the great thing about CARB testing is it takes forever. And the, the same CARB that tests Mercedes vehicles OEM for being allowed to be sold in California is the same one we get in line for. So we're you know, small potatoes, but we're in the same line as Mercedes and Ford and all these people that need to get stuff approved in the state. They have become very litigious because people, they want to stop people from modifying their vehicles. A lot, the diesel truck scene came on really big. And a lot of people, I I mean, I had a Ford F-350. I think it had 1,700 pound-feet of torque, 800 horsepower. And this was all achievable. And this is like long time ago. It's all achievable when these diesel engines came out with these tuners and people were doing things like DPF deletes and all these things. And California wanted to crack down on that. So Mm. they said that everything that modifies an engine in California has to be carb compliant Mm. and needs a little sticker and all this stuff. So what we did from a company standpoint, he said, whatever tune we do, we have to make sure that it adds benefit without adding, uh, without, without negatively affecting the environmental impact of the vehicle. The last thing we want to do as a company is use these lands and then sell a product that puts out bad tailpipe emissions. Mm -hmm. So what we did first and foremost is we tested the tune with Rentec to make sure that it is not putting out any greater tailpipe pollutants than your stock van. You may end up with a regen more frequently. And for people who don't know what a regen is, your catalytic converter um, or your, excuse me, um, your DPF, catalytic converters on a gas engine car. Your DPF, your diesel particulate filter, is it gets clogged. Mm-hmm. And so a regen is where they pump incredibly hot exhaust gases through to burn all of the clog essentially mm-hmm. out of the DPF. So you may end up with a few more frequent frequent regens, but we haven't even really seen that. I very so I've run Rentec tunes and prototypes all the time and never regen. I mean I do, but not more than normal. The reason I say all that is because California has become very litigious about going after these companies and massive hundreds of thousands of dollar fines for companies that sell tuners and so on. Obviously, I don't want to open myself up to that liability. So first and foremost, let's make sure that we don't violate anything Mm -hmm. in California from 
because the whole goal of the law is to be environmentally conscious. So A, the Rentec tune we've tested, which they don't even do when they smog your diesel. They don't test your tailpipe emissions. They check your computer and they check that everything's there. They do not test your tailpipe emissions. We do. It passes that. We made sure that it passes all the carb uh, legal things. Mm -hmm. Then we got in line to be carb approved. We are still in line to do that testing. Oh, okay. So we have not been approved per se with carb, which is why we have on our website that the sale of this unit in California is for off-road use. Mm -hmm. So legally, you can't use a Rentec tuner on the road. Mm. Could someone ever pull you over and find out it's there unless they're a uh, computer software engineer? No. Yeah. But we want to be really clear and transparent with our customers. Do people use it in California? It's certainly possible. But we want to make sure from a company standpoint that we sell it as an off-road use in California. But on the flip side of it, we are absolutely, uh, to the best of our knowledge, carb compliant or in the process of getting carb approval. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are. I will touch base with Rentec again to figure out where we are on that. Mm -hmm. But it's a giant government bureaucracy. Yeah. And so it's a black hole. What's a realistic goal for that uh, approval? If, if we get it within the next 12 months, I'll be excited. Oh, really? So yeah. we're talking at least a year. I, hopefully it will be inside of this calendar year. Okay. So. Wow. Interesting. See, this is all crazy stuff that I had no idea. This is all information that people should know. Um, that was a good question. Well, and, and in fact, I can expand upon this too, because a lot of people have a misconception about how tuners work. And I think it's really important. Again, people with the same information, I think, make good decisions. People assume, and this was true years ago, but as you get more and more regulations and you don't, people think about regulations here. You don't think about the world. Mercedes does not want, a Sprinter is not a high performance vehicle. Nobody at the Mercedes uh, engineer, engine, engine engineering lab said, hey, let's, let's eke out every last horsepower from this engine. They do that with like a high performance Mustang or um, a GTS or something like that. They're not doing it with a Sprinter. Mm -hmm. They go, we want reliability. We want dependability. So A, they make these motors to run so inside of their safety zone that mm -hmm. it's it's comical. They don't optimize them at all because they don't care. This is a, a delivery vehicle. They don't really care what the performance is like. Mm -hmm. Then the most important thing for Mercedes is compliance. And it's not compliance in the US, it's compliance all around the world. Oh, there wow. are all kinds of funky laws. There's a horsepower maximum in like Japan in general. So hmm. for years and years, every, every vehicle that had 700 horsepower in Japan, it had air quotes, 300 horsepower. So <laughs> there's all kinds of, there's sound regulations, there's weight regulations. For example, in Australia, if you are, you have all kinds of, of regulations for side airbags, unless you're over a certain weight. And once you're over a certain weight, you don't have those same airbag regulations. Well, it's the same with Mercedes. So when they engineer their vehicle and their engine, there are max sound levels, maybe in, um, you know, uh, Kazakhstan, they say that any commercial vehicle can't be over 78 decibels. And then you go to Greenland and Greenland is like, no commercial vehicle can have over 150 horsepower. And then you go to the US and they go, no commercial vehicle can put out um, X amount of sound at full throttle. And you have all these competing bureaucracies around the world. And so the unfortunate task for Mercedes is they need to have a one shoe fits all. Mm. And so what they do is they make it super quiet and they detune it and they make the boost low mm. and they do all these things so that they comply with every rule around the world. And so people think when we do these Rentec tuners like, oh, you're stressing the motor, the motor, you're just getting more horsepower of a motor that wasn't ever intended to do that and it's gonna blow up. It's like, no, um, 
if in Kenya, a vehicle can't be over 78 decibels when idling, do you care if it's 80 decibels? If you get 80 more horsepower? No, you don't care. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the main, the low hanging fruit with an engine tune is doing things that would get you out of compliance with random bureaucracies around the world that you don't care about. <laughs> so we worry about the bureaucracies in and around California and the US. Mm -hmm. And that's what we adhere to as far as compliance, because we're not Mercedes, we're a domestic company. Gotcha. Okay, so Tracy asks, going off the ski locker, have you thought about putting shelves in that bad boy? Yeah, the ski locker, we, we didn't do much on the inside, and that's mainly because we didn't know how people were going to use it. So some people are going to use it for skis. Some people are going to use it for snowboards. Some people are going to use it for golf clubs. So we, we do include one adjustable shelf, which if you're going to use skis, you're probably not going to use. If you're going to use it for golf clubs, you're probably going to use the adjustable shelf. Or if you have shorter skis, you can use it. So uh, we kind of, there were so many different uses for that product that we kind of just decided, you know what, it's going to take so long and, and add so much cost for us to create something for everyone that we're just going to let people go, go wild with their DIYs. And I've seen some very, very cool setups. So I love seeing the creativity of, of, of folks out there. Awesome. Uh, Steve asked, and we already went over this, but I just want him to know that we're not ignoring his question, but <laughs> he asked when the LT parts will be available. Um, unless you want to expand, I'll just go on to the next question. Yeah. No, I mean, as, as soon as we can get them out, once we get material, we're really material constrained. So if you know any uh, massive um, aluminum smelters out of South Africa <laughs> and you want to get a special boat headed our way, I am game. Nice. Okay. Carlos asks, Will you please share the details on the Owl Sprinter motorcycle hitch carrier and what went into the into the design? And also, will a video be coming out soon? So this is something where I wish I could answer the question, but that's actually not my my work. That is Mike Reed, who is out of Colorado. He runs the the Revel Rally, and he is an avid motorcyclist, dirt bike rider. And the cool thing is, he wanted to develop a motorcycle hitch attachment that was much more robust because anyone that's put a lot of cheap bike racks into a sprinter hitch knows how much it moves around and how much it kills your departure angle. And it hangs off the back so you can't really go in and out of driveways or God forbid trying to go off-roading with that. So he wanted to create a motorcycle hitch that uh, allowed you to have really good departure angle. So it's up high, kind of like a, a one-up hitch mount is. And it had to be able to carry something like 600 pounds. And so what he did was he made it bolt into not just the hitch carrier in the center, but also in the side where the actual hitch bolts into the Mercedes chassis. So instead of a single point, it's got three points. So it's much more stable. I've personally only ever played with his units. I don't have one on my vehicle, but as far as a rock solid dirt bike motorcycle hauler, I think it's a really good solution. I don't think, I don't think there are a ton of sprinter people that want to haul it on the back, but it's enough now that I think it makes sense to have a solution that's much better than what's out there. So I've talked to Mike. He's going to do a video. It's in the works because I know you've got something on there that's $2,000. And it's one of the reasons we do a lot of videos because it's hard to justify spending that kind of money and not really knowing how it works until it shows mm. up on your door. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, the, the, the product that I played with in person was really, really cool and nicely done and a thousand times more robust than a standard motorcycle hitch carrier that you'd find for a couple hundred bucks at Harbor Freight. But you may want to wait until Mike has that video to, to talk about the details. Okay. Do you know when that video, when he plans on doing I, that? I literally video? just emailed him this morning and he said he's working on it. So okay. <laughs> how's that for an obscure answer? All right. There you go. 
Um, let's see. So Samshire asks, East, do you have East Coast expansion plans over the next couple of years? That's a good question. The van industry has been pretty much a, a Colorado River West type of thing, which is interesting because the big manufacturers, you know, you have Storyteller in the South, Winnebago in the Midwest. Their uh, backwoods is, is in the South as well. So there aren't many folks out there. Uh, um, Freedom Van Gogh is probably uh, one of the best solutions out on the East Coast. They're in Florida. They do really nice work. I love the team out there. As far as us expanding, we want to be cognizant of where we have people that have invested in our brand. So like we would never, ever go to Florida and open up an owl off-road right next to Freedom Van Gogh or in that general vicinity because they've been a great partner of ours. But I think that that eastward expansion is a no brainer. I don't know if it will if van and adventure vending will ever be as big on the East Coast as, as it is on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. But it's certainly going to be bigger than it is now. Yeah. And I think that the way I view the East Coast is they're not in general, just with the van industry, two or three years behind the West Coast as far as, as demand. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see it now. We used to sell one in a hundred things to the East Coast. Now it's, you know, 10 of a hundred. So it's it's a tenfold increase, but yeah. it's still probably 10% of our business. So yeah. I, I would say that we probably got Pacific Northwest Midwest, and we're going to kind of be like reverse settlers moving slowly east across the country. But we do obviously plan to open more owl offer locations as we go. Okay, cool. Yeah, I hope you get over there. Those guys feel, I think they feel like they're bastard childs out there. Children. Freedom Van Gogh or just no, no, just the East Coast uh, storyteller in the community. They just well, kind of feel bastardized. You've got a traveling van. <laughs> you can be right where the action is at any time. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, let's see. So not to put salt on the wound, but Clark asks, which owl accessories can be mounted to the invader system? So the invader system, um, let me see how this is. The invader system is something that I'm actually not terribly familiar with from an accessory standpoint. My experience thus far with mounting stuff to it is, and it's not punitive, but we're, we have to, it has to make dollars and cents. So we had a customer come in the other day with an invader for and wanted a, one of our ski lockers. We had to pull the invader off to mount the ski locker. So on a Sherpa, there's space behind so you can reach in. The invader is sealed off, mm -hmm. I believe, because they intended to have accessories mount to the face of it. Mm -hmm. How I'm unfamiliar, but it is something where we don't currently have a solution. So I, I'm not sure what what accessories would mount to it. You can certainly mount our gear to it, but I think it's going to be much more involved than mounting our gear to our gear. You're mm. probably going to have to take the invader off. Mm. So, yeah. Um, Is that something you're going to want to try to do in the future? Have some type of compatibility between the two systems? I don't know. I mean, that's a situation I'm being overly honest here. It's like, do I want to help support what is a semi-competitive product to ours? Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't know. I don't know where, where the right scenario lies there because I love Storyteller. I love the management at Storyteller. Uh, you know, that we can agree to disagree on that aspect of what they do, but I'm always going to be Team Owl. I'm always going to think we make the best gear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll leave it to the customers in the marketplace to make the decision. Okay. Um, I do know it was kind of a bummer for a lot of folks who were waiting on stealths. We're waiting on the invaders that were on stuck on a ship. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a bummer. But, um, 
I mean, if, if I could have it, I'm like, come to Al, we'll get you sorted <laughs> off and you'll have your van tomorrow. I know, right? Just take the invader off the price and uh, go to Owl. Okay. Um, last listener question. Chris asks, the new... Oh, then do you know... Okay, so we kind of touched on this with the motorcycle carrier. Sorry, I thought I had organized these questions no better, but apparently I did not. Um, Chris asks, for the new Owl motorcycle carrier, does it clear the Expedition box and the B2 carrier with bikes? There is an extension that is included because uh, Mike, who developed the hitch, has our gear on the back. And so he includes an extension for anyone that has our gear. It is uh, included in the price. So when you get it, you can mount it directly to the hitch if you don't have anything on your rear doors. And if you do, the extension is included. Okay, cool. Um, so I have three questions and they're all mine. So what... and. I know I talked to you, so I don't want to go back in history, but from the last time I talked to you about a year ago, what's the hardest thing about running owl vans? Uh, people. I, I love the team we have. Getting to the team we have has been painful. We have hired and fired a lot of people because we don't tolerate mediocrity. I know that's easy to say, but we really don't. If you are working at Owl, you're going to care about what we do. You're going to care about the customer and you're going to work hard. And if you don't have those things and care about this industry and care about the team here, if you're just a hired gun mercenary, that's like, I'm going to show up, I'm going to punch my card. I'm going to do what boss tells me I'm going to leave. That's not who we need working for us. And in, in a short labor, in a, in a lean labor environment, we're not willing to compromise quality people because there aren't many available. And so we've have perpetual open job listings right now to get quality people. And I would say also just the management of, of, of those people is, is tough. And it's not something that I would say that is an area that I excel at. I think when you start a business, there are things that you love to do. I love innovating. I love adventure vanning. I love building things. That's what I love. Building a huge company where you have HR and middle management and all these things that it takes to get from where we are to the next level. I wouldn't say it's my core competency and I also wouldn't say I love it. We'll do it, but I want to somehow try to maintain the spirit and the culture that we have here that makes everyone enjoy coming to work. And the fact that I can walk out in the owl parking lot right now and see every single person that works here's car is plastered in owl stickers. <laughs> they when I see their Instagram stories and Facebook posts on the weekend, they're wearing owl hats and owl shirts. And when it's Christmas time, the number of employees that came to me and asked to buy, which I of course gave them, but asked to buy owl fleeces and hats and shirts to give to their dad and their you know aunts and sisters and all these things, that means the world to me. And it means that they care and love where they work. That's, um, that's what I love. And so as far as answering what's hardest, Growing to the point where you have people that treat it like a job, not like a passion, is hard for me. Mm -hmm. No, I totally get it because it's not their baby. Exactly. Yeah. And how do you transition? How do you how do you make that culture when you've got like John Denver? We call him John Denver because he's his name is John and he works at the Denver facility. <laughs> uh, so we call him, and it's so funny because customers started calling him John Denver too, which is the greatest. But John Denver's amazing. He knows his stuff inside and out. 
He's really, really good at what he does. I'm not worried about him. The people he hires. How do we how do we transmit the culture of who we are and what we do to those folks? How do we how do we disseminate that as we grow to these different locations? And it's hard. And I think that it's something that I've heard a lot of of CEOs that have had growing businesses say that there is a transition point where it's not your baby anymore. And that isn't it's monetarily it's great from a a a personal fulfillment standpoint, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, my second to last question is, how have you personally grown in the last year? Oh, wow. That's a deep one. How have I grown? Um, we just don't talk I, about all gear and storytellers on this yeah, podcast. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How much time have you got? I've already used up multiple hours. I think that the work-life balance aspect is tough. And that's something that I have to consciously work on. I have to consciously work on not bringing stuff home. Um, you know, I talked earlier and, and I'm being genuine that when customers have a bad experience with us, we take it home at night and I take it home at night and it sucks and it keeps me up at night and I don't sleep and that sucks. And so though trying to understand that when I sold 10 tire carriers and someone had a problem, I took that home at night. When you sell the volume of stuff that we sell now, there's going to be a problem every day. It doesn't mean they're monumental. FedEx lost a shipment, this or that. You can't take it home. And it's like if you work, and I'm not saying there were anything like lost baggage for like Spirit Airlines, but if you work the lost baggage counter, you're going to have people yelling at you all day. And I'm sure you become numb to it. And we we have very few. I don't want to over-index on the bad experiences. But what I mean is I'm trying to learn how to not let the things that I can't control affect me as much. A product gets lost in shipment. And then uh, for that customer, we, we overnight at great expense to the point where we're losing money on another carrier. And it gets damaged in shipment. And now the customer's super pissed and they miss their trip. And I genuinely feel bad about that. But getting to a point where I can say, you know what? You guys did everything you could to make this as right as it could. And we got unlucky in the situation. And don't let it keep you from sleeping tonight. Mm-hmm. And because it's not fair to my family and it's yeah. not fair to my friends. And so that's an aspect where I'm learning to trust the team more and more. I'm letting go of the little stuff. And I'm also trying to enjoy the journey. There is this natural human tendency to constantly compare yourself to others or Mm. to where you want to be. The common psychological thing on it is they say to someone, would you rather make $100,000 if everyone else around you makes $150,000? Or would you rather make $75,000 when everyone around you makes $50,000? And you're making less money. Mm -hmm. But it turns out people are happiest and they choose to make more money than everyone else because it's a comparative thing. And that's a really dangerous thing to fall into as a human. And it's really dangerous to fall into as a business owner. If someone waved a magic wand three years ago and said, you know, this little thing you're working on in your garage is going to be owl the company and you're going to have you know, 40 plus employees and locations around the country. First of all, I would have said they're insane. <laughs> um, second of all, I would have said, oh my God, where do I sign up for hitting the lottery? Yet 
when you get here, and I'm incredibly proud and happy of where we are, I'm still stressed because it's like we've got this year we want to bring out transit and we want to bring out all these new products and this is delayed and we got to get this problem worked out and we got to hire these people and it's like the stress level doesn't go on the best analogy i've ever heard was was lance armstrong when someone asked him some reporter said you know lance it must be easy at this point he goes what do you mean he goes they go well you're in such amazing shape it must be so easy and he goes it's never easy it is incredibly painful all the time you just get faster mm. And I think that's what it is with a growing business. It's never not stressful. It's never easy. There's always something that needs to be attended to. You're just bigger. And instead of trying to hit that, hey, you know, let's try to sell $5,000 or $10,000 of product this month. Now the numbers are just different, but it's the same stress. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to learn to be cognizant of the journey appreciate the journey, take a step back and say, isn't this amazing that we've built this team of people that love this? Isn't this amazing that there's customers out there that I don't know that go out of their way to say positive things about us? We did an origin story video about the beginnings of Alvans, and the, which is so rare in today's society. It was nothing but positive comments. And it wasn't people that were jealous of the growth of Owl or were from a competitor and slammed us. It was all positive comments. And I'm like, I'm going to take that and just let that soak in because one negative comment can ruin your day. Everyone knows that from social mm -hmm. media. But when you get 10, 20, 30 people who don't know you, who are congratulating you and your team and saying, you know, I'm so proud of that. You got to soak in that for a while too and take that in. And that it's not as easy, but that's in the world's longest answer what I'm working on for me. That's good. I mean, you definitely have to stop and smell the roses and look back and, you know, I don't want to say like in a narcissistic way, like admire what you where you came from. But I forget that rapper's uh, uh, name, but basically you started from the bottom and now you're here. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a bad way to put it. But basically, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, I understand your struggle. It's definitely a balance, especially when you have family and yeah, and I hope that none of that comes off as whiny, complainy stuff. It's it's just that I think it's something that hopefully everyone can relate to, and I don't think we ever get right as people. Mm -hmm. We are so attuned to focus on the negative that, again, like I said, you can have a 100 positive things said to you, done to you, whatever, and it's that one thing that didn't go as planned or one negative thing that someone said that just sticks with you. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to consciously work to fight that. Yeah. But there's a quote. Um, well, I won't go into that, but basically not only that, but what I see, not just from you, but from most of the vendors I uh, talk to is that all the issues that the customers have in regards to like having to wait and their lack of, you know, being patient or, you know, maybe they just don't understand what's going on like that. All that burden times. I don't know how many customers you have. I'm just going to say thousands to keep Number simple, you know, it's a funnel. It all comes up here and then it goes spirals down to you. Yeah, that's a lot. Well, and, and now, thankfully, there's a little bit of a, of, a, of a wall between me and some of the day to day problems. I have enough really talented people here that problems get solved oftentimes before they hit my desk, which is amazing. But there are days where I see it in their faces. You mm -hmm. know, you come out there and it looks like everyone's puppy died. And it's just like, what's going on? And they're just like, we had a day. We had a day, man. And it'd be like, anything you want to tell me about? And they're like, 
you don't want to hear it. It's all <laughs> fixed, but you don't want to hear it. And, yeah. I, and I just, I'm like, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you like shouldering that burden. I'm going to go play with my kids, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. That's good. Because the team works hard. And at the end of the day, you can't do anything more than that. Yeah. And you can't control lead times. And, you know, I, I really, the team here really tries to level set. And we do do this almost like, regardless of how you feel about religion, I think one of the best aspects of religion is that on a weekly basis, you go in and you gather and someone says, hey, this week, let's work on this. Let's work on being kinder to our neighbor. Let's work on um, being a good person. Let's work on uh, doing something for others, whatever, all these things. I think that's a really, people tend to think that we as people make a decision and we're that way forever. I think that we require maintenance, just like just like an owl carrier on your back door. Um, <laughs> that you have to do tune-ups. And, and I do tune-ups with myself and with employees here where I just hear them getting battered, like a, a customer service, you know, because let's say FedEx has a problem. And, uh, and I don't mean to keep throwing FedEx under the bus, but there's just a really common problem with shipping delays these days. Mm -hmm. And one, our customer service staff just getting one, one bad call after another. And I'll take them in. I'll be like, look, understand they're upset because of how excited they are for the stuff that we make. Mm -hmm. They're upset because this is one of 10 things on their van that they've been, or sorry, like 10 other things that are also delayed from other manufacturers and they're going to miss their trip and they're not going to go be with their family. I was like, they're not really mad at you. It's not your fault. But mm -hmm. just keep in mind that sometimes people just need to vent. Yeah. And it sucks sometimes that it comes out in this way. And I hope I'm not painting customers as like these horrible people because they are so, the customers here are so amazing on the grand scale. But I just it's like a maintenance thing with the folks that that that, you know, keep in mind that these are good people. They want our stuff like mm -hmm. just don't internalize it. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Thanks for sharing that. I'm sure that's not easy. <laughs> it, it, it's a lot, but it's also wonderful. And I would say that the most fun time uh, are when we get to get out and get on the trail with the customers. We do these and. I, I hope to start them up again soon. They are at, don't take this as a sales pitch. We, we lose money on every single one, but we do these trail runs and these events where we go out. I know you guys do them as well. And it's just such a cool chance to get out there and hang with people. And it's a refreshing break where I get to get back in love with adventure vans, which I do, and away from the day-to-day -day grind of running a business. And mm -hmm. so I really, really look forward to those trail runs or van shows. I, I absolutely love it's for people that don't know, if you come to the show and you talk to our staff, the people that are nice enough to to be excited and so on, um, it really just it really does energize the staff. They, they bring that home the same way that you can bring negative stuff home. They bring that back and to watch people's pep in their step. Um, wow, I sound like I'm 90 uh, <laughs> when they get back to the office after a van show and they're like, wow, some guy came up to me and he got one of our B2s and he said he absolutely loves it and he goes mountain biking and then he swaps it out for skiing and all this stuff and he was just like so he thanked me for the stuff we make and it's just you can see how happy they are and, and that's so cool so that, that stuff for anyone that's gone out of their way to to stop by at a show and say something like that it it definitely it matters yeah it resonates that's good all right john last cool. question all right it's been a long one. one i know uh thanks for your time yeah yeah absolutely but uh I asked this on the last episode, but okay. I'll ask it, ask it again because I think some things have changed. <laughs> but what does it mean for you to be part of this donation community? You're right. Things have changed. And I think that 
now I think it's one of those cool things like knowing a rock band before they were the rock band. And I think that everyone that's in the van industry today has no idea how big this is going to be and how anonymous it's going to be. There is a point in time in a company, a point in time in an industry, a point in time in a band where if you ask Green Day, like what was the best time of your life? They probably won't say, maybe they will, but <laughs> I've never <laughs> been a rock star. They'll probably have moments where it's like, you know, that stadium they played to 200,000 people, but the grind of those shows is not the best part of their life. The best part of their life will probably be when it was, you know, four guys in a, in a you know, Winnebago RV driving from show to show, um, eating Hot Pockets. <laughs> and when they were the undiscovered band and they had loyal fans. And so that's a that's how I feel like the van industry is. Anyone that's here listening to this podcast that has a van today, even though it already feels like somebody may be new to the party, you're not. This is going to be a monster. The number of businesses getting acquired in the past um, six months is insane. You know, there are some acquisitions, acquisitions that just happened this past week that, you know, I don't know when those will be public, public, but it's not us. Um, it's crazy and it's going to look different. And you look at the Jeep industry and you look at the Smitty Builts and the four wheel parts and they're huge and they're anonymous. And when you call four wheel parts, that person has probably never owned an off-road vehicle in their life. They're in a call center somewhere you know, taking calls all day. And when they're not doing that, they're probably trying to sell you a car extended car warranty. <laughs> so this is the, what I like about being part of the Stonation is that this is a time when I think I will look back on this time in this industry very fondly, the relationships we've made, the people we've hung out with, because I don't think it's going to be this way forever. Yeah, I agree. This is like the golden years for sure. This is when you arrive in California in 1848 and you're walking <laughs> around and be like, hey, there's gold in these hills. This is going to be fun. And then all of a sudden, like eight months later, it's like an entire city built up. You're like, this isn't much fun anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I totally understand. But yeah, it's nice to be in the golden age for sure. Yep. So I know it. I know it's going to change. I don't want it. I don't think anybody does. But, you know, I've throughout the meetups and stuff, it's a subject that has come across our, you know, minds and conversations. And the question is just when. But I think for the most part, as of right now, like, I think we'll be good for a while. So, well, and I think if I can leave any anyone with anything, it's be nice to the new people. When you have an industry like this that grows, I see it with Jeeps. I see it with Land Cruisers. I see it with, you know, all kinds of, of different industries with the forums. And you start sort of start to see it on some of the stuff. Uh, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Because it it, it it spirals downhill so fast. If someone's new and they're asking basic questions that you know, don't crap on them. Don't call them, you know, a noob and, and, and all this stuff. And that's not the case yet in a lot of these online forums and groups. But it is the case with a lot of like Jeep and Land Cruisers. Someone will come in and be like, you know, ask a question. And to everyone that's been in the industry, it's an asinine question. And you're just like, seriously, dude, like. Google or this or that, mm -hmm. just say it in a nice way. Don't be a jerk and just be like, hey, you know, hey, there's a search feature a lot of people have done. And that's what people do today. Mm -hmm. But it will always trend towards a snarky. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been here for five years. You're new. You know, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a condescension. Mm -hmm. And so the only thing I would ask people is don't let us become 
those forums and those Facebook pages that are condescending to the new people. Pretend, think back to when you were new to this industry and didn't know anything. Exactly. Yeah, now you could put a, a Van Compass 4.3 on in your sleep and you know the exact tire size that a two-wheel drive can fit and a four-wheel drive can fit and all this stuff, but you didn't know that. All You didn't always know that. Yeah, everyone starts somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. John, that's a great way to end the podcast. Again, this has been a long one. I think you also have the record for the longest podcast, so congratulations. I don't know if that's a good thing. Isn't brevity <laughs> like one of the tenets of good communication? <laughs> well, also, you know, the details are in the devil, or the devil is in the details. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that one. Yeah, I mean, you went into uh, some behind the scenes stuff, and I think that's what most listeners really appreciate because they know they go on your website, they get the specs, they know what you're offering, yada yada yada. But it's like who you are as a person, who you are as a businessman, a family man, things of that nature. So I think uh, a lot of people people appreciate that. So awesome! Well, I know I do. Well, thank you, and I appreciate the time to to talk to people about something I love. And hopefully, I see you folks out on the trail this year. Stonation is a production of Park Media. The executive producer is Young Wa Kim. The audio engineer is Stephen Grasso. The marketing director is Guillaume Golson. The original music and artists is done by Jason Walsmith. The sound designer is Lorenzo Indriano. And the webmaster is Peng Shu. Without any of these people, this podcast couldn't happen. So a big, huge thank you. And a big, huge thank you to you, the listener. If you like this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a five-star review. This is Young Wah with Stonation, and I can't wait to share the road with you.